how many are there? Are there like 92 here? It's about, I don't know, there's about 120, I think it is. Yeah, you can find out what um, Jim Keoghan thinks of Soccer AM, the managerial payoffs, Tekkers, transfer gossip. Actually, I, I like what you do with transfer gossip. You call it the sugar-packed snack of today, and we should blame yeah. Rupert Murdoch for it. Although, I yeah. did just see um, Wilfred Zaha at Finch Farm. Yeah. Um at Watford every year Matt Rouse a Watford fan makes the list and every year a hundred players are linked to Watford. I think this year it's gonna be two hundred because we need yeah. a team. Because imagine last time we went up from the championship, the first game was against Everton. We gave a really good account of ourselves, but I think we'd signed six or seven players. Deeney will feel like a new player because he's injured. Is there anyone that you think really would be a, a wonderful addition to this Everton team? Because you've got the back three or four sorted. I think you've got the centre and midfield sorted. Is this Leighton Baines's last week in football? I think he's, he's, he's done Baines, but I think it's Everton's problem. We've got nothing on the right at the moment, so our kind of you know Coleman's not always playing, and it's possibly not the force he once was. Um, it will be is like a joke, really. Um, so that definitely needs addressed. And also, I think probably Everton at the moment is that we've got a good team if they're fit. But as soon as we lose a few players, kind of the backups are woeful. So we don't really want to see uh, Andre Gomez playing for us again, really. Don't want to see Fabian Delph in a blue shirt. You don't want to see a Wobie or Bernard. So they still need kind of a better squad. So certainly more improvement on the right and all over. Uh, kind of our second string players to be of a much better quality than we have now because mm-hmm. I think that, that's really what's cost us European football. We've lost kind of since losing Decore. I mean, we, to, we don't have anyone who can do what he does. Is he, um, back, is he well, coming back soon? I, he might make an appearance before the end of the season, but we won one game without him. Interesting. Um, and he's like, I know he's not that, he's not necessarily the most kind of technically accomplished player, but he just runs and yep. runs and covers a lot of. Yeah, but you know, and um, he covers a lot of ground and lets other players do what they do best. And he's um, he's been, he. I think him more than any other player has been like the main loss this season. I don't know. I just think he's got like an incredible engine. I don't, I don't, you, know, you watch him, and you're thinking he's on the ball. He's not doing anything spectacular. He just he just reads the game really well, and he's always where you want him. He's, he's sort of that, that sort of player. So when when you have him, the players that were brought in by Ancelotti which was, I guess, him, Hamas and uh, Alan. they've been fantastic. But you're still dealing with the kind of fallout of the previous four years of recruitment, which has been, I think, generally woeful. There have been some good players in amongst, like, Richarlison and Dina. But uh, there's, also, there's been a lot of shite brought in as well. Mm, and uh, Marcel Brantz, one of the best in the biz, uh, should have been making phone calls for the last year uh, to ensure that Everton finish, I don't know, sixth? Next season? Yeah. The money we've spent and the manager we've got now, if, if we're not challenging the top six properly next season, then something's gone horribly wrong, really. Is it just me or is modern football shit? After all that moaning, it's probably only fair to end with a list of some of the good things about modern football because despite all the inequality, the financial madness, the Paul Pogma clothing ranges, it's not all bad. There are lots of Everton-related stuff uh, in this list, do you want to write a book which celebrates the good stuff of modern football? 
I think it'd be nice. It's, I think it's, it's harder being it's harder being pleasant. I think when you when you just letting rip about stuff that really bothers you, it flows quite easily. When you're kind of trying to celebrate things, one, I don't think there's enough to fill a book, probably, and two, it just you know when you're saying something's nice, is it that interesting? I don't know. I mean, there's certainly elements of the modern game that I love. I feel like there's so much more that I hate. What is the thing you love the most? Is it taking your son to the match or Ben Godfrey? <laughs> um, sometimes it's Ben Godfrey. Yeah. Um, Did yeah, very well on his um, debut, didn't it? Was it his debut playing right back against Liverpool? Yeah, he's just he's everything you've been waiting for in a Everton player. That's what I think that's what it is about Godfrey. It's just the the level of commitment and the joy he seems to get from ruining someone else's day. It's just what we, what we've been missing. So we've been we've become like a really nice yeah, team. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, we weren't you know under Moyes, we weren't like that. And he's he's like a Moyes player. He's just full of fury. And so that in kind of yeah, certainly taking your son to, to the game is one of the best things. But kind of for that moment of pure visceral joy that you get from a, a Godfrey sliding tackle, it's, it's hard to match. One of the things you like are these football times. Will you be getting your hands on the Valencia uh, magazine that TFT has just produced? Yeah, I think they're great. And it's, it, they, they, their kind of approach to football writing is fantastic. I just like like the, the really the much wider uh, point of view of the game, and it's not. You know, I don't really enjoy publications that are just solely focused on. Um, uh, the same teams or just or the Premier League. It's good to have a wider um, point of view on the game. I was really annoyed because I wrote a piece that I thought was really good on the almost invincibles of Arsenal 1991. This was the year Tony Adams went to jail. Uh, Alan Smith and Paul Merson scored 43, 44 goals between them. And then I looked on these football times and bloody done it. It's a pain. And so I was going to submit it, but I'm going to have to really come up with something. Uh, yeah. Because what they do, and I've spoken to Stephen and um, Gary and Stu. I've spoken to all three of them. Have you been on their podcast, by the way? No, no, no uh, not yet, no. You must. Although apparently yeah. they've got a backlog for months. Yeah, I had that. New book coming out this month. Um, it'll be out next week by the time you hear this. The Accidental Footballer. And Pat Nevin is one of the things you really love, alongside Barry Glenn Denning, Mark Chapman, James Richardson, Mike Calvin, Ellis James, and uh, James Rodriguez playing for Liverpool. Your, your dream football panel would be, if you were designing a radio show, maybe, let's call it, Jim Keoghan's Nice Things. Um, <laughs> and you can only pick uh, two people. I don't know. I mean, probably. My, I really like Mark Chapman. I, I, I like the way he kind of approaches his broadcasting. Pat Nevin. I just think I I, I interviewed um, Pat Nevin for one of my Everton books, and he's just fantastic to talk to. Just he's so so unlike uh, the image of a footballer. You know, back when he played, or, or even now, he's just you know totally 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 unique. I mean, not just the fact that he's banging into indie music, but also like just his that's kind of his intellectual approach to football. It's just uh, different. I think he's fantastic. I, yeah, there are a couple of intellectual footballers nowadays, or at least middle-class footballers. James Ward-Prowse, yeah. Patrick Bamford. Um, but Pat Nevin is the the lead. Well, Steve Coppel, I suppose, at the time, because he had a Cambridge degree. But Pat, smart as well. And the accidental footballer uh, is available this month. It's been pushed back a couple of times. But I hope to get him on here. 
Um, but if not, I hear he's doing other interviews. Um, yeah, he's very me- rare for yeah. Because I mean, I, I think I think what I like about him was that he's he was so different for the times. You know, when you think about footballers in the eighties and nineties, they just weren't like Pat Nevin. He was completely sui generis of his own mind. Aston Villa yeah. seven, Liverpool two. Yeah, brilliant. Just the greatest, <laughs> best game of the season because <laughs> no one saw it coming. Yeah, because they were so so cocky. They thought the title would be a walk in the park, and then he just got absolutely rinsed by Villa. And uh, I think they went into that game, but thinking they win like five now. It was just, I know it's really petty, like, but just to see the look of shell shock on their faces <laughs> during the game was, I, you know, I don't get that level of joy from Everton. I only really get it now from Liverpool's misery. So it was just brilliant. That is what Talksport. Uh, that's their mission: it's to encourage fans of not Liverpool. To from a great height dump on Liverpool or insert yeah, Man U, Chelsea. But all the same, these are the champions of Europe. You're having a laugh. Yeah, but it's, that's all I've got <laughs> at the moment. I mean, I've, just, I've just sat through two seasons of Liverpool being just absolutely brilliant. You know, untouchable in the league one season. European champions, which really great because they love that, their fans. They really revel. It's what they do. They win European Cup, so just to, to see all that uh, cockiness just dissipate against Villa of all teams, you're thinking, "Ah, oh, it's just wonderful." Did Van Dyke play in that game? He did, yeah, he did. <laughs> so when when they talk about their season being derailed by Pickford, and actually, you know, they were getting battered by Villa with Van Dyke. You know, that, that was their full team pre-injury crisis, uh, which wasn't that bad anyway. They were crap. I mean, absolutely overrun by Villa. That night, so it's um, yeah. That's, I think that's the highlight of my season. Better than any Everton game this season. Gloriously crap. <laughs> that's what uh, the European Super League is created for, so that John W. Henry doesn't have to call Jurgen Klopp and say, "Hey, man, what happened at Villa Park?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's about not having the possibility of humiliation. You just want, it, yeah. It's just about elite teams playing each other in boring games, mm-hmm. whatever, for future fans. But which Leonard Cohen songs should have been used to celebrate Aston Villa's goals? <laughs> that, well, that, wouldn't that make a nice change, though, for goal music? It's always up-tempo crap. It's always like, you know, the Bundesliga is terrible for it. It's always status quo. Yeah. Or it's uh, some um, European house music. It's, you'd want something like, like Cohen or uh, Lee Hazelwood or something like that just to kind of really bring the mood down a bit. The Bundesliga, 500 miles. Maria, I like it loud by Scooter. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that takes some beating for shit, as that does it. I think the way, I think I mentioned it, the worst is the one there, uh, is the, I mean, Song 2 by Blair is not a bad song, but to put Yabba Dabba Doo in front of it, just to get the crowd on their feet, is, I yeah. don't understand it. Do you know, I'm sure Damon Albarn, if he didn't get royalties for performance, would put a stop to it. But... Yeah, <laughs> but I don't get it, because like, when, surely when you score, you're happy. It's not, it's not not a given. It's like you don't like your team doesn't score and you go, oh, yeah, fair enough. You're up on your feet anyway. I don't get why you need someone to scream yabba dabba do, yeah. I've got a compromise. When the goal goes in, you play Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. When video has checked it and wiped it out, you play Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley. But when the goal is given after video, yeah. you play Alexandra Burke's version of Hallelujah because it's got that strings swell. Yeah. 
nothing's weird that final version because you've been out on the Sunday league and that modern football is shit but there are loads of good things and the best thing is seeing the next generation come up and this pertains to how to run a football club which came out last year and is still out over there I love how you describe grassroots refs. So can you give an example of when you've been entertained by um, a kind of Stasi referee at that level? Yeah, but not recently. But, yeah, but, I mean, normally when, when you've got referees doing junior games, they, kind of, they realise, I think, that these are children. And I think most of them are, are, are pretty good. Well, but on recently, he, he generally thought it was a Premier League game. So like, not only was he uh, handing out bookings to kids which is ridiculous uh, he was like really picking up on every single thing to the point where we were forbidden from leave, from leaving our technical areas so they, they, they normally draw these like little yeah. chalk in a box lime. yeah nobody nobody pays attention to it because nobody ever has it so normally as a coach you're up and down the line and you're giving them encouragements and that kind of stuff and you're trying to kind of get the kids doing what you want them to do but he actually had us penned in these areas and he kind of threatened us with sanctions if we left them as well. I think there was like a £10 fine, which is just, you know, thinking it's under 12 football, not even at a good standard, and you're parading like you own the place. Just, 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 just amazing. We are um, privileged in the last few years to have Mike Dean as the big celebrity ref, although a couple of months ago he did hint that this was going to be his last season. Uh, he's from Birkenhead, isn't he? If he's a Tramley fan. Yeah, I think he is, yeah. So, will you miss uh, Mike Dean? Because he's one of the good things, albeit he sends loads of people off. He sent off Cher the other week. So, won't you miss that aspect, the theatricality of referees at the top level? No, no I, I just think they shouldn't be... If you just feel like some of them as important. I mean, I know they're important, like, but as important or as good as the players, you shouldn't... I, mean, I don't think... Apart from um, a handful of referees who did shit things to Everton. I didn't know who refereed games when I was growing up. And for years, I didn't really know or care. Suddenly, you, you're, you're aware, I know they become professional, but you're aware of referees to a degree that you that you previously weren't because they're out there parading and, like, strutting and making a name for themselves. And I think partly they, maybe they want to get noticed and they want to get the big European games and only by, not you know, you think by just being good. But matter maybe it's about your profile, but... There was a great one. It was I can't remember his name. The fellow who sent off Ancelotti last season after Everton's um, he's a young referee after Everton's game against Man United. You see that one, Chris Cavanagh. The game Everton should have. That's it, Chris Cavanagh. So Evan should have won two one, but the, the goal wasn't given because uh, Sigurdsson was, you know, theoretically blocking the Hayes line of sight, and so Ancelotti goes up to him, uh, rightfully frustrated, and he kind of the look on Cavanagh's face. So haughty, so kind of you know, oh, fuck you. I am the man, and he, he delivers his red card. You know, to like this giant of the game who he was just he was justifiably angry for what happened. I just thought, I just it just shows you how some of these referees think. Uh, rather than trying to you know reason with him or take him off the pitch and talk later, it was just fuck off. Here's the red card. You thinking some of them think they're more important or they deserve more respect than they actually do. Mm. Yeah, Chris Kavanagh has, has not covered himself in fabulous glory, but he's a product of his time. Uh, this will go out the day after Super Sunday at the London Stadium uh, and a few days before, well, Everton go to Aston Villa. So anything better than 7-2 is a bonus. Uh, and yeah. then you're at home to the sacrificial lambs. Um, yeah. 
uh, and then you have Wolves at home and on the final day you are at, well, it's a dead rubber because by that time, yeah. there's an outside chance you'll qualify for the European competition. Would you rather not? I'd look, no, I'd like to. I think I think we could cope. Is it the, what's the, it's the Europa Conference, isn't it? The kind of bottom rung. Oh, is it really? Oh, if, so if you're sixth, you go for the conference? Yeah, okay. I, well, possibly, possibly even seventh. It depends upon... You know who finishes where with, with a kind of league. I think it's the league cup place goes somewhere, but um, I think we could cope with that. I'd, I would worry about us. Uh, and, and obviously, we won't get Champions League, but anything better. If you've got Europa League, I'm kind of haunted by our last dalliance with that when we were, we were there under Cumin and we got we just got battered. We were just in terrible shape. And you're thinking right now, are Everton in condition to really ever go to Europe? Probably not. But maybe we could have a stab at the conference because you know we'd be, we'd be one of the bigger teams in it maybe we, we wouldn't necessarily you know be humiliated in the same way we were previously but it's um, you know when you look at that, that list of fixtures you think we should have a good chance but actually you know you say playing Sheffield United at home at home it's so appalling you can see us losing that game You've hardly scored any goals with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are the midfield just not chipping in this season? Even with Charleston hasn't scored that many. That's you know, you take away Carver Lou and we're in trouble. It's weird because we started off the season free scoring, you know, you know beating like uh, West Brom, Brighton and, and scoring for fun. And then we've, it's just really tightened up and you look at us and there's no there's no creativity in the team at all. If you don't have Hamas playing, there's nothing to create and players like Iwobi and Bernard don't offer anything to the team. You know, Iwobi's devoid of confidence refuses to be players anymore so that's why he's been brought in to do that kind of stuff and it just isn't there so I, I imagine we'll, I imagine we'll finish 8th or ninth this season and it'll, be, it'll feel like a massive opportunity wasted really mm. which is a shame because it, it was a season that seemed to promise so much I mean we were, we were top 4 for a, for a while there. I mean we were doing good stuff and playing well and it's uh, we've really struggled against the teams who you would be expected to beat at home We've lost in Newcastle to Fulham, to Burnley. You know, in the past, Everton might not have done well against the big six, but we held it on against other teams. And weirdly, this season, we've beaten Liverpool, we've beaten Arsenal, we've beaten Spurs, and then we've chipped up. Maybe we shouldn't, which is, I don't know, it's something that will need to be looked at for next season because it can't. I think it's someone put online, it was our, um, our home form is the worst we've ever had at the moment including the two seasons when we went down. So it's a relegation home form. And our away form is better than any season we've had. It's title winning away form. So something, something's not right. That's crazy. Who's the best yeah. fan to get in touch with? Who's the podcaster or the magazine editor? Depends. The best site is probably a Grand Old Team. Tune into the most. Probably a Paddy Boyland. He writes for the Athletic. He's really good. Well, I think that's the first place I'll go because the Athletic, as you know are, well, symptom of modern football. They, their stated goal is to destroy print media by getting eyeballs to that site. I've been subscribing for a quid a month. Yeah. And some of the coverage is, is extraordinary. There was an article on Lee Sharp's golfing career. You know Lee Sharp is a golfer? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Paddy Boylan's Everton coverage is uh, fantastic. I think that's it. I'll give him a look, uh, which begs the question, what's your next book? Are you going to go back to the Toffs or are you going to kids football? Because you've written some brilliant books about a variety of subjects. This kind of catharsis, is it just me or is modern football S asterisk asterisk T? 
Although talking of tea, uh, why doesn't your wife bring you enough tea? Because she doesn't make tea. It's weird. I've known, known, I've known her for uh, 20-odd years. And uh, I, I come from like a tea-drinking culture like in Liverpool. Like it's like it's on tap. It's always made quantity. So that's my, but her family wasn't like that. So what? She, she's happy with one cup a day. So if I want a drink, I've got to make it myself. So it's just how we've come set up. So I never got a cup of tea offer, ever. That is fascinating. And how long did it take to write this book? Was it in a couple of months? Yeah, it's pretty quick. It's, um, it's you know, it's not the same level of research as past books. Like past books, you've got to interview people and you've got to do a lot of make sure your facts are all, you know, tip-top and that. Whereas this one was just kind of uh, a rant. So it was just uh, it's about six months, probably, if that. Jolly good. Have you started work on another one? I did a self-published one last year uh, on an Everton one. I did quite well, so I was I was it was, it was only a short book. So I was debating, bear in mind, like you know, everything, all this kind of sudden interest in fan ownership, whether I should uh, kind of re, just do a short version, kind of revisit that subject and just kind of look at uh, do like a guide. How like how do you run? How do you how do fans? How do you run a football club? What does it entail? And how does it work as a as a fan? And just do like a little. Like twenty thousand word guide, or something like that. Because I think it's it seems to be very current at the moment. Isn't it? People seem mm-hmm. to be starting to fifty plus one and support a trust, and, and obviously that kind of fan led review will, will clearly uh, touch on this again. And um, I don't think, certainly in the short term, I don't think it'll necessarily go away. It might not amount to anything, but I think people first time since. Was it the ITV digital crisis? Yeah. But, yeah, that was when, you know, that was the last time foundership really took hold. People were, oh, this is going to be, you know, revolutionary and change. It didn't really happen. But I think people, the first time maybe since then, what's that, about like 10, is it about 10 years ago? More than that, isn't it? Probably more than that. People seem to be talking about it a lot more. So I just thought maybe, seeing that I've written, written about it before, I could sort of go back to it again. Well, you can do no worse than read Eric Samuelson's book, which is out to the wider public next week uh, called All Together Now and you spoke to Ivor Heller for your book How to Run a Football Club yeah are you yeah have you read anything else oh I tell you what is a really good book called Punk Football the author is a lovely <sighs> scouse bloke who le- drinks lots of tea and hates Jesse Lingard yeah I completely forgot you wrote that book as well you are Mr How to Run a Football Club it should be, shouldn't I? But um, I, I talked to Eric Samuelson for punk football as well. I, we don't, I think people kind of know about the Wimbledon story, yeah. maybe at a kind of nervous level, but actually, you, when you dig into it, it, it's just an incredible story. I mean, especially the, in recent years, to, you know, to kind of to get back, not just get back into the, league, into the same league as the team that buggered off to Milton Keynes, but to get back to your ground at the same time, well, not, not the ground, but the same location, it's just, you know, it's that kind of Hollywood stuff, what they've done there. It's, it's an incredible story that doesn't, I don't think it's talked about enough. They're, they're an absolutely amazing football club. I can't wait to go to Plough Lane because Miles Jacobson has an affiliation with Wimbledon through football manager. And Miles is a, a very, very big Watford fan, uh, one of the top ten. Um, yeah. But there, there's a whole host of them. Charlton with the De Chatelet nonsense and the other, the woman, Myrie, is that her name? The CEO? That didn't end well. Yeah. Blackpool with Simon Sadler doing great things. The Eisners, they might well bring Portsmouth back up to the championship. Uh, Wigan, they've survived. New owners, they'll go up next year. Uh, the Palioses, uh, Tranmere. Uh, um, Andy Holt. Yeah, of course. He's a yeah. great, great, great owner. Really gets what ownership should be. 
he's doing fantastic things there running the club sustainably sees himself as a custodian there are fantastic owners in football I think a lot of the attention gets focused on the terrible ones obviously because that makes good copy but you know but certainly in the lower levels there's loads of people just doing you just love the game or love their local club you just do fantastic things and, and, and bring happiness to the community and, and that is the community in house around a football club you do mention that well A how on earth is this sustainable but B, if you focus it on the community, even if you're a privately run asset, you allow the community to help out. Have you been following what's going on? This is a bit um, higher up, but Watford Football Club was given over. to. I mean, I had my vaccines at the football club in, the, yeah. in the, some of the boxes, which were turned into vaccination centres. And the nurses could DOS... Uh, and they were able to relax and launder their scrubs at the club. And that's the yeah. best thing to happen to Watford this season. Yeah, well, that, that's what football clubs can be. I mean, loads are. I mean, you, you look across the division. It's not just in the Premier League. We have like, community foundations I mean, right across even, you know, even um, grassroots clubs. They do, they enrich their communities, and not, not just through football and through the sense of belonging. They're also out there, you know, doing doing important community work, especially during, you know, recent months, you know, delivering food yeah. and, and keeping people connected. Ringing up it's, the forces, uh, yeah. A lot of focus in this country gets gets put on six clubs and what they do on the pitch. But, you know, football is, is far from just that. Football is, it's vast in this country. It's a vast pyramid that touches, you know, millions of lives in, in different ways. And it's... Um, feel like it gets forgotten sometimes it's just it's it's not just the european super league it's just not elite clubs playing each other it's not just the champions league it's it's sunday league it's um grassroots football it's crap football it's you know it's it's the, it's the unglamorous side of the game and yet it's still vitally important to so many people i i was thinking about this i think it compares to kind of flea markets and like versace you can have you can look at the Versace and go, oh yes, that is a perfect example of what happens with a bit of imagination and tons of money, or you yeah. can go and get the five quid tatty old club. <laughs> um, yeah. But what on earth would a club? You say it's inevitable, and it certainly is inevitable. Like Michael McIntyre's Saturday Night Career, um, <laughs> the big six clubs will have all this money from J.P. Morgan or whomever. They must yeah. ring fence some of that for the community. So if you are in Toxteth and you're wild about Liverpool and you've put, you went to Istanbul and you went to all those finals and yet your life circumstances are so wretched that you do have this visceral attack on Fenway. What can Fenway do whilst, being, whilst targeting Indonesia... Fenway, a private business who is, um, don't forget, has their offices in London, not Liverpool, and Boston. What can they do for Toxteth and how much should they do for Toxteth while they're trying to grow in overseas markets? I mean, they can do lots, can't they? I mean, if the football clubs are wealthy businesses, they, they, there's lots they can they, they do. And, you know, there's, um, you know, in the past 20 years, they should have done more. I mean, they promised to give a lot more to, to the community, not just to kind of... Uh, Local football to to our community as well, but they don't. And I don't think they. I don't. Someone like Fenway. I don't think they care. I think. I think your numbers on a balance sheet. So if they were to go down a certain path and develop, you know, say 
30 million more fans in foreign markets and from like, you know, China or India, places like that. And those fans are buying Liverpool merchandise. Egypt, and, and, Senegal, and, Egypt. Anywhere. If that, if that comes at the cost of a couple of thousand of legacy fans who live in you know, Liverpool 4 or, or Liverpool 8 or... Dead the thing from that, they don't... Uh, why would they care? You, I mean, as you say, they're a business... He's a businessman. So from, from a business point of view, if you if one path enriches the club financially and produces more more fans in in emerging markets at the expense of fans who maybe don't buy as much merchandise and maybe don't invest as much in in the club, why why would they care? Doesn't mean for them. I've, I've said this a few times, kind of past interviews. You could take Liverpool. You could, you know, if you pick up Goodison Good Park and put it somewhere else in the country, everyone would suffer financially. You could put Liverpool anywhere, and it wouldn't matter. That 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 Anfield could be in Berkshire and it'd still sell out, and Liverpool could be in a different country and it'd still be massively followed. Their 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 roots and their connections with Liverpool Four are not what they once were because they're a different entity now. They're a different kind of football club, different sort of business. He should care because these are the fans who built Liverpool. These are the fans who went to Istanbul, who've been loyal, paid on the gates, and made Liverpool the club they are. And it's, you know, they're undoubtedly one of the biggest clubs in world football. I don't think loyalty means anything to these people. It's just about the bottom line, no. really. And so, it's it's very sad. I mean, I wouldn't if you are. I mean, more than likely, if you are that Liverpool fan and Foxes, more than likely you've been priced out of going them again years ago. You can't afford to go and watch them anymore. You can't get a ticket. That was what the uh, nonsense about the £77 was. Yeah. Yeah. Huge expense. If you even get in, on, in the first place, it's massively expensive to go and watch these, these sort of clubs. Um, it's expensive to watch any Premier League club, but it more so the elite. You don't matter. You think you do because you support them for 50 years or whatever, but you don't. It really don't matter to them at all. Especially because on match days, they get X million on match days. They get tourism money, money is money, but... They get however many billions from the TV deal. I was just thinking how Ole Solskjaer has been in charge of Man United. Second place, but of course, the wage bill is astronomical. We know who Liverpool's next manager will be. I wonder if on principle he'd turn it down and stay at Rangers. Do Do you think it'll be him? I can't see who else it's going to be. I don't know. I, 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 I think, again, if you, if you were a businessman, I know he's got the kind of, the, I know he's a club legend, but he hasn't got the pedigree. I mean, you, you talk about replacing somebody like They haven't Klopp. lost a game this season in the league. Yeah, but, but it's, but who are they playing? It's the, it's, Mirren, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, yeah, I think he, I mean, when they brought in, I mean, Klopp was a, a was an outstanding appointment at Liverpool. I mean, I was incredibly jealous. Because like, you knew what he brought and what, what would happen. He's just, he's a, you know, he's that, he's that kind of man. He's a, he's a elite football manager. He's never been sacked. But he's, he, you know, he's, he, he, you know, he managed to win the title in, you know, Bayern Munich uh, dominated Germany. That, that takes something. He got to the Champions League final. He played a, a, a kind of football that would do well in, in, in this country. Replacing him is going to be a massive challenge for that club because he won't hang around forever. I mean, he, you know, he's already facing challenges. He's got an agent first team. He's got a owners who don't necessarily splash the cash in the same way that that, that, that their peers do. You wonder how long, you know, he'll necessarily hang around. And I, I don't know if Gerard's the man. I'm, I'm sure the fans would clamour for him, but 
to win the league with Rangers and then to move to Liverpool, I think that's a huge step up for someone like him. So um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure it's going to be him. Mm. Nogglesman or Jesse March, who's just about to move to Leipzig. Um, I, I, I thought Nogglesman, I thought he'd be, he'd fit the mould. He'd come in and play the same sort of football, same sort of background. I mean, you've got to be careful, Liverpool, because I mean, whilst they're still a very big club, if you don't, you know, obviously this season it looks unlikely to look at Champions League football and suddenly you're less of a, a attraction to elite managers. Because if you're not, if you're in Europa, you haven't got endless amounts of cash to splash around, it might limit who you can get. You've got a moment now where you can probably attract anyone you want right now, but that won't last forever. That's the big story. I mean, it's, it, it will be great for Tranmere to get back in the Championship, which hopefully they will. But these are the big brands in Britain, Liverpool, yeah. Manchester United FC, Chelsea Football Club, City to an extent. In Brexit Britain, we need to attract these tourists. Um, and so it's more than just about football. And you see that with the Conservative Party um, coming in and arguing against this Super League, which is going to happen. Maybe what will happen in the future is that McIntyre will pop up on... Manchester United TV, or is he a Spurs fan? Spurs TV. Uh, he'll pop up and be the host and have a banter with um, whoever Spurs are going to appoint because they still haven't got a manager. No. He's like, hey, hey, I don't keep, he's answered too, too good a thing at Everton. We're paying him a small fortune to, um, to underachieve. The, the best paid underachiever in the country. Yeah, really. I mean, I, 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 also, I, I think, he, I think he's, got, he's still got work to do at Everton. I think I think it, it's probably a, a nice challenge for him to try and resurrect. He's done everything else, hasn't he? He's won everything in football, so why not try and do something for which he'd be, you know, he'd be loved if it comes off. If Everton do win the league, I will go down to Brighton and I will make you a cup of tea with however many sugars you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any danger of that happening. I don't see that. We're not, we're not, we're not going to win the league. We're never going to win the league probably again. Just what? don't see how that happens at all. We win it, we, I think if we win a cup, you'll probably win the league cup, given given a good run. But I, I, I just can't envisage Everton ever breaking that stranglehold. Oh. It just seems we've just we've been off the pace far too long, and we haven't really got absolutely transformative amounts of cash. You need like city levels of cash to kind of weather the bad signings and to kind of make, you know, get you through the not-so-great seasons. I don't think we've got that. Arguably, the reason Riyad Mahrez scored two goals last night is because he's a squad player. He might not even play in the final because he's, squ- he's not even a first-teamer. And he costs £60 million, which is two Richarlison's. Was it their team last week? Their second, their supposed second-string team last week against Palace. It's, it was their team that could, that could win the title. I mean, it's that's what you that's what you're up against. You know, when when they when they turn to the bench, I think it was, it was great when, for example, when we played them in the FA Cup, and we were sort of holding our own against them because they weren't at full strength. And he brought on De Bruyne, Amares, and the golfing class. We think we brought on Bernard, and the, you know that. And then suddenly they scored two goals, and we were dead in the water. I think that's. It's that depth that you just you just can't compete against them. You're quite right. De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Mares, Foden, Gundogan, Ruben Diaz, Carl Walker. That was the bench yeah. against Crystal Palace. And it will be Sergio Aguero's last game for Man City um, for a team that don't play with a nine. 
Uh, he's yeah. going to be... They won't start him, I think, because they'll want to have a big packed midfield against, I don't know, Real Madrid or Chelsea. But the worst thing to happen for English football would be a Chelsea-Man City final. Man City, who shouldn't be there because they should be banned. Chelsea, yeah. who are run with money that is... Uh, the owner can't even get in the country. Modern football, it is shit, but if you keep hope to the epilogue, you will be able to read some of the good things. Richarlison always looking pissed off. He's never happy. He constantly looks like he's got a massive cup on. He's always looking like he's like lost a five and a pound a penny. He's just, he, even when he scores, he's not, he doesn't look particularly happy. Yeah. He's just, uh, which I like. I don't particularly want me players to be Especially not, not when you're playing for Everton, because there's not a lot to be happy about. You shouldn't be smiling too much because it's generally shit. In terms of kind of his temperament, he's, he's, he's in tune with the fans, really. Well, I hope he's going to enjoy Europa League football, Europa Conference League football next year. Yeah. And maybe we can get to it because grounds should be reopening uh, in the yeah. next few months at the top level. Maybe not at kind of third to fourth tier level. Just to, Well, it might do, but you're pessimistic about lots of things. Um <laughs> Are you, will you be um, continuing in your under-13 football odyssey next year after your kid badgered you for three years? You're not giving up now. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I love it. It's, 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 um, earlier, it's what I, I miss most during um, the lockdown. So uh, n- next year, we should move to 11 aside, which is like what Good. I think what a lot of coaches have been waiting for since they were five years old. And make you know, proper big big football game so it, it, it's fantastic it, it's just great to watch kids who you know start off unable to really kick a ball and hunt the impacts and then when you see them at this age like playing one twos and doing little tricks and scoring great goals it's it, it immensely satisfying hey you should get Alex Iwobi along maybe he'll learn something nah, he's, 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 a, he's a lost cause I think oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next book, Lost Causes of Football. Uh, in the end, Jim Keoghan, your book, Is It Just Me? Or Is Modern Football? S asterisk asterisk T, an encyclopedia of everything that is wrong in the modern game. Oh, I forgot to look at the back page. It's got a diving Mo Salah. It's got a, that looks like Mike Ashley sleeping in a lot of cash. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And who's that on the left with love hearts above the head? I think that's somebody in a horrible kit kissing the badge. I think it is. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Does the sight of half scars enrage you? Does transfer deadline day make you want to throw a brick through the TV? This is Talk Sport. No, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the antidote to Talk Sport. Uh, Jim Keoghan, thank you very much indeed. Have a good summer. You too. Thanks for having me. That's like a life.